a reading from the first book of Maccabees. As King Antiochus was traversing the inland province, he heard that in Persia, there was a city called Elimaeus, famous for its wealth in silver and gold, and that its temple was very rich, containing gold helmets, breastplates, and weapons left there by Alexander, son of Philip, king of Macedon, the first king of the Greeks. He went, therefore, and tried to capture and pillage the city, but he could not do so because his plan became known to the people of the city who rose up in battle against him. So he retreated and in great dismay withdrew from the, to return to Babylon. While he was in Persia, a messenger brought him news that the armies sent into the land of Judah had been put to flight, that Lysias had gone at first with a strong army and been driven back by the children of Israel that they had grown strong by reason of the arms, men, and abundant possessions taken from the armies that had destroyed, that they had pulled down the abomination which he had built upon the altar in Jerusalem, and that they had surrounded with high walls both the sanctuary as it had been before and his city of Bethzer. When the king heard this news, he was struck with fear and very much shaken. Sick with grief because his design had failed, he took to his bed. There he remained many days, overwhelmed with sorrow, for he knew he was going to die. So he called in all his friends and said to them, sleep has departed my eyes, for my heart is sinking with anxiety. I said to myself, into what tribulation has I, have I come? In what floods of sorrow am I now? Yet I was kindly and beloved in my rule, but I now recall the evils I did in Jerusalem. When I carried away all the vessels of gold and silver that were in it and for no cause, I gave orders that the inhabitants of Judah be destroyed. I know that this is why these evils have overtaken me and now I am dying in bitter grief in a foreign land. The word of the Lord. Thank you. I will rejoice in your salvation, O Lord. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will declare all your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, most high. Because my enemies are turned back, overthrown and destroyed before you, you rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. Their name will you blot out forever and ever. The nations are sunk in the pit they have made, in the snare they have set. Their foot is caught, for the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor shall the hope of the afflicted forever perish.
brought life to light through the gospel. Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and likewise all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? for all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he called Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the scribes said in reply, Teacher, you have answered well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. Verbum Domini. In our first reading today, we hear about the last days of King Antiochus IV in the second century BC. He became deathly ill upon hearing the news of the defeat of his armies and his forces in Judea. The Greek kingdom that Antiochus had been leading was promoting and trying to incorporate pagan Greek cults in opposition to the monotheism of the Jews, belief in the one true God. Antiochus himself had brought the cult of Zeus into the holy temple in Jerusalem. And this sparked a revolt met, led by Mattathias and his sons Judas, Maccabeus, Jonathan, and Simon. And by the help of God, they were successful in recapturing Jerusalem and rededicating the temple. But Antiochus, as we heard in today's reading, he realized as he lay dying of grief and anxiety that in persecuting the Jews and in profaning their temple, he was taking on someone much more powerful than himself. And he came to see that his current condition was a punishment from God. As one commentary put it, the death of Antiochus symbolizes in some way the tragic condition of those who go so far as to try to uproot God from their own lives or that of society. 
Right? So when we try to distance ourselves from God, or we try to distance someone else from God, or society as a whole, we're going to end up miserable, because our happiness is only found in God. And I think an important line from our first reading today as it relates to our spiritual life is the description that we're given of Antiochus when he became sick with grief. And we're told he became sick with grief because his designs had failed. Of course, his own designs were sinful. They are in opposition to God's holy will. And as a result, we hear that he was bitterly grieved. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and full of anxiety as he approached death. If we want to avoid the same fate, it's important that we try to conform our will to God's will, right? Not that we try to force our will on God and his designs or on other people. And that way, when things don't go our way, which is bound to happen, things don't always go our way, we're not crushed, right? We don't have to be distraught, but rather we can say, Lord, your will be done. And while we don't always understand God's will or what he permits, the sufferings or crosses that he permits in our lives, we know by faith that he can bring great good out of them. Again, we want to simply conform our will to God's holy will and to seek to imitate Christ and to live generously according to the holy gospel and our Catholic faith. And in today's gospel, the passage from St. Luke, we hear of the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, that the dead will rise, and they tried to both mock that belief and to try to set a trap for the Lord by presenting this hypothetical case of a woman marrying seven brothers. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They asked him. And there are a couple of profound truths that our Lord reveals in his response to them. First, he says, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there will be no more marriage in heaven, nor will there be procreation. That doesn't mean that spouses in this life will not know each other in the next life. God willing, if they both make it to heaven, their union and love for one another will actually be perfected. It'll be elevated and raised, be purified. In heaven, we will have a perfected love for God and one another. The Lord also tells us in his response to the Sadducees that in heaven we are like the angels. It's important to note that our Lord said they are like angels. We don't become angels. Angels are pure spirits. We are not pure spirits. We're composed of both body and soul. And our souls, as we know, are separated from our bodies at death, but then we await for our resurrected bodies the final judgment when our Lord comes again. So in heaven, we are like the angels in the sense that angels are immortal. They do not die. And angels do not marry, and they do not procreate. Rather, marriage and procreation are for this life on earth. And third, from the response of our Lord to the Sadducees, we see the doctrine of the immortality of the soul and the resurrection. Our Lord refers to the book of Exodus when we read about the burning bush. And in that passage, as we know, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So this refutes the Sadducees' belief that we cease to exist after death, because at this point, these three patriarchs had been dead for quite some time. But God refers to them in the present tense. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They still exist. 
Their souls are immortal, even though they died bodily. Their life to God. And again, they continue to live because their souls are immortal. So we heard our God is the God of the living. Now, just a few more points about the church's teaching on the resurrection of the body. We believe that all shall rise, not just the good. Everyone shall rise. Our Lord said in John 5, verse 29, The hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So even though bodies naturally corrupt and decay after death over time, it's not difficult for God, who is all-powerful and who formed all matter from nothing, to refashion the same bodies that we have now and this, with the same material as it once was. Nothing is impossible for God. And although we will rise again with our same bodies that we have now, they will be changed in their condition. First of all, our bodies, our risen bodies, will be immortal. That is, they will no longer be subject to death. As we hear in the book of Revelation, death shall be no more. And according to the general teaching of the church, the body will also rise again in complete integrity, free from all distortions, malformations, and defects. St. Thomas Aquinas taught that we will rise again in the greatest possible natural perfection. In addition to the risen body being immortal and in complete integrity, the body of those who enter into life with God in heaven will possess four additional qualities. And these are qualities that our Lord's own risen and glorified body possessed. The first is impassibility. The body will no longer suffer any more pain or inconvenience or anything disagreeable. This, of course, is not the case for those who will end up separated from God for all eternity. Again, they will suffer greatly in both body and soul. Again, these four qualities that I'll mention now are only for those who will be in heaven. Again, the first one is impassibility. The second is brightness. This is a brilliance which is capable of a greater radiance than the sun, such as our Lord revealed on Mount Tabor at his transfiguration. Our Lord also taught that the body will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their heavenly Father. This brightness the church teaches is sort of a radiance reflected on the body, and it's from the supreme happiness of the soul. So it will be a participation in the happiness of the soul, just as the soul participates in the happiness of God. But this gift of brightness will not be common to all in the same degree. While all bodies of the saints will be equally impassable, that is, not subject to suffering, they will not be equally bright or radiant. Remember, St. Paul spoke about this in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, when he said, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Right? The brightness of our souls will depend on our, the degree of our union with God, the degree of our charity when we die in this life. The third quality is agility, which frees the body from the heaviness that now weighs it down. So the glorified body will be capable of moving with great ease and swiftness wherever and whenever the soul pleases. We see this when our Lord appeared bodily to the apostles after his resurrection. He quickly appeared 
in their midst, and he disappeared just as quickly. And the fourth quality of the glorified body in heaven is known as subtlety, which perfectly subjects our bodies to the dominion of our souls. So our bodies will be always ready to follow our souls, unlike now, as we often experience a battle within. We can think of St. Paul's words in Galatians, that currently the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But that will not be the case in heaven. So by reflecting and meditating upon the truths of our faith, this article of faith which we profess in the creed, right? we believe in the resurrection of the body, we can be strengthened and encouraged, especially during times of suffering or distress or anxiety, thinking about the joys, the glories of heaven, both in body and soul, what awaits us. As we honor Our Lady today on this Saturday, we look to her who is already in heaven, body and soul. As our mother in heaven, she wants to help us get there. So we ask her intercession today as she greatly desires to help lead us closer to her son and to heaven. And as we continue with the Holy Mass, we remember our Lord's teaching in John chapter 6 regarding the Holy Eucharist as a pledge of future glory. He promised a glorious resurrection for those who receive his body and blood worthily in Holy Communion. Remember, he taught, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day.